Open your Bibles to Matthew 25. We're going to have a lengthy reading, so it won't be on the screen. So love you to be able to follow along in your own Bible. If you didn't bring one, you can find one there in the pew. Matthew 25. Look at the last part of that chapter, verses 31 through 46. While you're turning there, I'll tell you about a soldier stationed on the island of the Philippines during World War II shared a story. Sometimes the enemy would try to infiltrate their camp, especially in the food storage area. He said, one time a guy was dressed in GI clothing. He worked his way into the noontime chow line, but the camp spotted him, reached under the table as he was going through the line and grabbed his gun and then called the MPs that were working in the area. And so after it was all over and they took him away, they interviewed the cook and asked him, how did you know that he was an enemy soldier? He said, I figured he wasn't one of you guys because he came back for seconds. (laughs) He had no idea that his actions were giving him away. Which one's the real soldier? Which one's the fake? How do we know? He looked the part, but he wasn't the part. Which one is it? In Matthew 25, Jesus taught a very important lesson about eternity. Let's look at this passage together and study it a little bit for the next couple of moments. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before Him. He will separate the people from one another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on His right and the goats on His left. The king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when do we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When do we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needy clothes and clothe you? When do we see you sick or in prison or go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on the left, depart from me, you who are cursed into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison. You did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick and in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. This is such an important passage, and we know this teaching. We're familiar with this teaching. We remember a lot of the things that Jesus says, and this is probably toward the top. You know, we know the story about being divided between the sheep and the goats, and we allude to that from time to time. I think it's one that we want to get right, because he talks about something very important, eternal life or eternal punishment. But what exactly are we to learn from this teaching? What exactly is Jesus teaching us here? What is the takeaway? Because it's not like he's saying anything in this section of Matthew 25 that is new. 
And when Jesus came and he taught, he said, you've heard it this way and I'm going to teach you and he would share something new. This is not one of those. This is one of those that had been taught for years and years. This is how he lived. This is how he modeled. This was just Jesus true and true. In the book of Acts, Peter tells us in Acts 10.38 how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. And then Luke wrote to his followers in Luke 14, 13, when he wrote his gospel, that Jesus said, but when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. So Jesus taught this. Jesus modeled this. Jesus lived this. He conducted his ministry this way because God's always been this way. This isn't a New Testament teaching. This is a timeless teaching. In fact, in Proverbs 19, God promises, promises us that whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward them for what they have done. And look at Proverbs 22, verse 9. The generous will themselves be blessed, for they shall share their food with the poor. And then in Psalm 41, verses 1 through 3, it gets very explicit with the promising that blessed are those who have regard for the weak. The Lord delivers them in times of trouble. The Lord protects and preserves them. They are counted among the blessed in the land. He did not give them over to the desires of their foes. The Lord sustains them on their sickbed and restores them from their bed of illness. So this concept, this teaching, this life of doing good to the sick and the hungry and, and those who need it is timeless. God's always expected of that of his people. And he's always condemned those who failed to do it. What Jesus is teaching in Matthew 25 is not new. It's really a continuation. When we think of Sodom and Gomorrah, what comes to mind, especially in their destruction, was the sin of homosexuality. And that was a huge part of it, but that wasn't all of it. Look at what Ezekiel told Israel. There was more in, to their iniquity than just that one sin. Ezekiel 16, verse 49. Now this was the sin of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant overfed and unconcerned they did not help the poor and the needy in proverbs 21 verse 13 it says if a man shuts his ears to the cry of the poor he too will cry out and not be answered one person who was familiar with the teaching of matthew 25 sort of rewrote it uh, and let me share what he what he shared i was hungry and you formed a humanities club and discussed my hunger I was in prison and you crept off quietly to your chapel and prayed for my release. I was naked and in your mind you debated the morality of my appearance. I was sick and you knelt and thanked God for your health. I was homeless and you preached to me of the spiritual shelter of the love of God. I was lonely and you left me alone to pray for me. You seem so close to God, but I'm still very hungry and lonely and cold the person who wrote that obviously realized that if we only talk about doing good for the lord that's not enough that's not following god at all in fact it's a powerless life it's a powerless faith but before we go any further there's one issue about this passage that bothers me and, and maybe it bothers you too because you could easily deduce from this teaching that Jesus was saying, good works earn salvation. Is that not how it reads? 
You go through and you read, Jesus tells this one group that because they feed the hungry, because they gave a drink to the thirsty, because they gave a bed to the strangers, they clothed the naked, they looked after the sick, they visited that person in prison, they get to go to heaven. Isn't that what he said? And he tells the others, because they didn't do those things, then they would have eternal punishment. They would go to hell. Not a huge leap of faith. Pretty easy to connect the dots and say, hey, if I do the right deeds, then I go to heaven. But is that what he's teaching here? That's actually the teaching of so many world religions, maybe all the world religions. But is that what he's teaching here? You know, sometimes we go to a funeral and we will say things that sort of uh, suggest that kind of theology. Maybe it's a man or a woman who is just an awesome servant kind of person and, and they're known for their good works. They, they, they help so many people. And so people are talking about that as they're remembering them. And they'll maybe say a line like this, well, if she doesn't get in, there's no hope for the rest of us. Have you heard that kind of thinking? That kind of saying? Or God has to let her in. God has to let him in. You know, so they did so much, like they earned their way in. And think about it. That is part of what makes this world work, right? You go to job, you go to work, you do your job, you get paid for your hard work. Maybe even get a promotion. You don't work, you don't get a paycheck. But you might even get fired. So we kind of understand that kind of thinking. But is that how it works with our salvation with God? Is that what Jesus is teaching here in Matthew 25? Are we saved by our works? Or are we saved by our faith? Which one is it? Because what about some of the other teachings in Scripture? And I could share uh, several, but let me just share two. Uh, I think just kind of nail it pretty succinctly. Titus 3 verse 5. Paul wrote, He saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal by the Holy Spirit. And then Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourself. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So Paul says pretty clearly here, we're saved by grace and not works. You can't earn your way to heaven. You can't work your way to heaven. Not by doing good deeds. It's not by works. But then Jesus teaches us here in Matthew 25, if you do these things, then you're in. You get to go to heaven. That's why I called this lesson, which one is it? Which one is it? What's the right way to think about this? Because we need to know. This is basic stuff, not that complicated. You know, and, and either one really is, is, gives a, a, an extreme formula or plan. But these messages are not the same. In fact, in some ways, they're opposite. So which one is it? Sometimes I ask that question because I see and hear and sometimes guilty myself of talking out both sides of my mouth. Even in that illustration I shared a moment ago like we might say about someone at the time of their death getting into heaven. But we might swing the pendulum to an extreme. Sometimes we talk and think and even live like everything for our salvation depends on us. 
So we have a list in our minds of what that means, of what that looks like. And so we meticulously keep that list. And we notice if others are also keeping that list or if they're not keeping that list. And then other times we think and talk and even live our lives that it's all about grace. Amazing grace. Isn't grace wonderful? So don't worry so much about that list. You can't do it all. You never do enough. So why even bother? Don't obsess over doing so much good stuff. God knows my heart. You've got to live a little, right? That's what grace is for. So which one is it? Are we saved by doing the right works? Are we saved by grace through faith in Jesus? What exactly did they say? We read the verses from Paul, and Paul did say you're not saved by works, that you're saved by faith. But did Jesus actually say that we're saved by these good works? That if you do these things, go back and look what it says there. I hope you've got your Bible there open. We're going to be looking at that again. That those who did these good things, these loving others in very tangible ways, feeding them, giving them drink, taking them in your home, going to prison, doing all these things, that the reward is eternal life. See, Jesus... Notice the words there. He doesn't teach that these good deeds are what earn their salvation. Think of it this way. Students from a third and fourth grade went on a field trip. And you've seen the the trend, and it's a pretty good idea where on a field trip, the children will wear a t-shirt, and it's color-coded. So maybe look at this next slide. You think you got uh, yellow for third graders. Say the third and fourth grader going on field trips. All the, yellow, uh, all the third graders wear yellow shirts. All the fourth graders wear green shirts. Now, if you've ever been a parent or a grandparent and you're chaperoning one of those trips to the zoo, you are so thankful for those colored field trips. I mean, those colored t-shirts. It helps because you don't have to look at any other colored t-shirt child in the park. You're just concerned about those in that color. It, it's a good thing and it helps. But here's the reality. There could be other children in the park who wear different color shirts. Could be adults who wear different color shirts. But wearing a yellow t-shirt would identify you as a third grader. But it's not what makes you a third grader. Does that make sense? That's where we have to make sure how we go through this teaching and understand. Sometimes we see people doing all these good things And we quickly deduce, well, they must be a Christian. Maybe. But maybe not. It may just mean that they're also wearing a yellow t-shirt. It may just mean that they're just doing good things. Jesus' followers are not the only ones in the world who do good things. Who feed the hungry. Who go visit people in prison. Who care for the hurting. So if we can't earn our way or work our way to heaven, what is Jesus teaching here in Matthew 25? I believe he's telling us, teaching us that if we are his children, we're going to, if I can use the word wear, we're going to wear these identifiable traits, these characteristics. We will do these good deeds and we're going to be known by our good deeds. Look at what he said in Matthew 7. Verse 16 and following. By their fruit, 
you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. One man told about a, uh, an email correspondence he had with a friend of his who was an atheist. And the atheist challenged him on uh, the advantages of Christianity. So they went back and forth, and it was a good exchange. And in the course of that, the atheist maintained that the church failed miserably in Nazi Germany. And the man didn't know how to reply to that. No, he wasn't there, he wasn't there, he just knew what he had read. But sometime after that email he shared later, he came across some comments by Albert Einstein. Einstein's not a Christian. In fact, he was born a Jew. Author Cochrane wrote in his book, The Church's Confession Under Hitler, something that Einstein observed. Here's the quote. Only the church stood squarely across the path of Hitler's campaign for suppressing the truth. I never had any special interest in the church before, but now I feel a great affection and admiration for it because the church alone has had the courage and the persistence to stand for intellectual and moral freedom. I am forced to confess that what I once despised, I now praise unreservedly. Now, bear in mind, Einstein's not a Christian. In fact, some would say he's not even a very good Jew. But because of during that dark time, what he saw God's people do, standing up for righteousness, he had to think positive about that. He recognized it. It was the fruits, we might say. So I believe in Matthew 25, Jesus is telling us what Christians will look like. They're going to be the kind of people that feed the hungry. They give a drink to the thirsty and give a bed to strangers and clothe the naked. They go to the prisons. They, they take care of people. You look after the sick. That's how you're going to recognize them. But there will also be those who might claim to wear the name of Christ. And they're not doing these kinds of things. I think Matthew 25, Jesus is essentially saying, if you're not bearing my fruits, you're not wearing my name. You're really not of me. I think that's the difference between fake Christianity and the real thing. Think about artificial plants or artificial flowers for a moment. There are plenty of things to like about fake flowers. Uh, it's, it's true. Don't have to water them. Don't have to fertilize them. They're not messy. No dirt required. Place them where you want them. They'll be fine. No light. Low light. No maintenance, pretty good thing. But they also have a few shortcomings. They can't reproduce. They have no life about them. No growth, no aroma of their own. They're not the real thing. They're fakes. I think that was the difference between the sheep and the goats in Matthew 25. If you don't know a lot about sheep and goats, you might get them mixed up, especially if you see them from a distance. You're not sure what they are. If they're all gathered together, maybe all mixed together, some would not be able to even discern one from the other. 
One more application to be found in real flowers. If you plant a garden, if you like, like plants, that kind of thing, you know, and if you don't do that, you know, what comes first, the root or the fruit? The root or the flower? My point is, good deeds are the fruit of your salvation, not the root of your salvation. Good deeds don't make you a Christian. But if you are a child of God, if you are a Christian, then that's going to be a part of who you are. It's going to be a fruit that you display. So if Matthew 25 teaches good deeds save us, then the question we're going to ask, what if I'm not doing enough good deeds to please God? That's the question we ask. You know, there's a part of us, if we like to be in control, we might want to be able to earn our salvation. To do enough good deeds. To work our way. But in the reality, it would drive us nuts. Because we'd be asking this question all the time. What if I'm not doing enough? We'd never feel sure about our standing with God. We'd never feel secure in our salvation. It is possible in life, and you know this, to ask the wrong question. And this is the wrong question. So instead of asking, what, am I not, what if I'm not doing enough good deeds to please God? The right question is this. Since good deeds please God, how can I do more of them? That's the question to ask. See, that first one is born out of fear and apprehension, insecurity. The second is out of love and adoration and expectation. Because the kind of deeds that, that we do for God reveal that we love Him. And we're thankful. We're pleased to serve Him. It's who we are. It's who He's called us to be. The story is told of a church building in Strasbourg, Germany that was destroyed during World War II. After the bombing, the members went in to survey the damage and it was was, was terrible. A lot of it was just totally destroyed. But they were so pleased that there was a statue of Christ um, that was not severely damaged. But what they noticed is that both hands of the, in the statue, both hands uh, were removed with, with the bombing. Well, a sculptor in town got word of that. And the whole city was sad about not just the war, but a famous sculptor centuries before had made that. And so it was kind of special to the whole city. So he volunteered to replace the hands on the statue. Well, the church met and decided not to accept it. In some ways, they wanted it to be whole again. But they also felt like the statue without hands would be a great message to everyone. That the work of Jesus Christ is often done through our hands, our feet, through those who follow Him. I read that story and I loved it, but I don't know if you do this, but don't believe anything you read. Don't believe anything you hear. There's so much false going both ways. I, I read and I found out there's several versions of the story actually circulating about. One was about a church in England that was also bombed during World War II. One was the same story in a cathedral in Germany, a third one about a village in France, and another one about a village in Africa. Which one is it? Well, here's 
the weirdness of it all, none of above. The real story is from a Catholic church in San Diego, California. Not during World War II, but 1980. Not a bombing, but vandals. But the part that is true, the hands were gone. Look at this next slide. You can see the statue there. Go home and look it up and get all the different stories. You'll probably get tired before you find the end of it all. But they did put a plaque at the base that simply reads, I have no hands but yours. And it's a reference to the poem by St. Teresa of Avila that begins, Christ has no body now on earth but yours. No hands but yours. No feet but yours. And so the statue is still there. You can Google it and find it. And the message is true. Whether or not the story is, that I don't know. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you that Jesus came to make a way for us to be saved. And Father, as we think about these words that he taught, we ask for understanding. Why did he want us to be people who would feed the hungry? And give a drink to the thirsty. And to go visit those in prison and take care of the sick and take strangers in. To be the kind of people that love those in need. Father, help us to understand that that's who you are calling us to be. Father, help us not to draw conclusions that you did not teach. Help us to know that our salvation comes not because we earn it, not because we do enough. Because Jesus made a way on the cross. That He did it all. Father, as we believe, help our belief be transferred into action. And it will show to others that we belong to You. So as we do these things, serving those in need, those who are hurting, those who, who need help, that we do it not out of duty, not to earn our way, but to show that we are yours and that we want to do what's right because that reflects that we belong to you. Thank you for teaching us, for loving us. Help us to be more and more like Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Tonight, if we can pray for you specifically, or if tonight you'd like the name of the name of Jesus and have your sins washed away in baptism, we have the water ready to help you. Won't you come as we stand and sing?